Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Weirdos Podcast. Today, I am so stoked to have back my good friend Steve Berg. Steve is an amazing actor, writer, researcher into the world of the weird, podcaster, and a ton more. We get to chat about all the good comics that he grew up loving and kind of his discovery of the art form, as well as a ton of other wonderful weirdness. Go check out Steve's podcast, Hi Strangeness, linked below, as well as all of his other work follow him on instagram he's a wonderful follow and uh yeah i'm really stoked to share this with you if you want more stuff from me i have my patreon and the shop linked below i'm going to be dropping some new zines in there very soon i just shipped them out to patrons and if you want to get in on some exclusive comics i've been posting there the patreon is also linked below thanks have a wonderful day and i'll talk to you all soon bye I don't know if you grew up in a wintry place, everyone, but like a snow day is, it's it's similar to a holiday. It's it's a really beautiful, exciting thing, you know, an unexpected day off from work and school. So it's yes. it's beautiful. I got the window open, the snow's falling. Everything's looking good here, Todd. I love it, Steve. Two things. One, are you a Pete and Pete fan? Have we talked about this? I know. I know of it, but I did not see that. Oh, I will. I'll ear beat you about it some other Please. time and how much you need to watch and everything. But uh, the creator of Pete and Pete, the only movie he did was called Snow Day. His name's Will oh. McRobb, and it was a Nickelodeon production from the 90s. And uh, it's one of my favorite things. And it just talks about the magic of the snow day. It's pretty much kids battling the snowplow man to make him not be able to plow the streets to continue <laughs> the snow. Right, right. I love it's it. so good. It's so good. But the other thing about snow days that's funny, you started with that. My kid just came home yesterday and he was like dad we need to flush an ice cube down the toilet and i have to wear my pjs inside out tonight and sleep with a spoon under my pillow and i'm like what you talking about buddy like i need i need more information here like i'm in for it all but apparently his teacher uh told him that these are three uh very old superstitions from the northeast to make a snow day happen so if the weather is calling for snow and you want to get off school the next day you flush an ice cube down the toilet you wear your pajamas inside out and you sleep with a spoon under your pillow and i thought that was one of the coolest little folklore superstition things i've heard in a while that i, I was completely uh missed when i was little <laughs> guess what well i'll tell you what i have never heard that but i'm going to be the ambassador to the midwest and spread that to everyone because yes. everyone should know about it if there's a surefire way with ritual to make a snow day happen i think this is information that needs to be spread exactly <laughs> exactly that, right no absolutely i i'm into anytime my kid comes home to tell me some weird stuff and like he he definitely we I grew up with snow around here. Like Delaware mm -hmm. used to have very snowy winters. Not as much in the last couple. Like we'll we'll Same. get like 
gross muddy snows you know where it snows and rains at the same time essentially yeah it's gross (laughs) yesterday or two days ago it did that like it started snowing and he ran out my seven-year-old just ran straight out the back door and got so excited then it was just a mud pit within 10 minutes and i was (laughs) like like, "Ah, well (laughs) close (laughs) yeah like that brown slush everywhere you're like yeah it's like you can't do much with that (laughs) the snowballs are too dangerous you know like (laughs) exactly exactly well you know one of the best things you can do on a snowy day is snuggle up with some fine reading material and i asked you back here steve to kind of talk about some comics because i'm Mm -hmm. doing this little series where i'm talking to folks about sequential art and their relationship to comics and some of the inherent uh, strangeness that pops out of it and uh yeah you came to mind right away when i was doing setting up the uh talks for this and just kind of want to start at the beginning like what is your relationship with comics when did you first start reading them uh right dive in there maybe well, okay, from a pretty young age, I, you know, I there was a place called Cosmic Comics that was not far from where I lived, and it was a great comic book shop, and there was this guy who worked there named Terry, and if you could just think of like the archetypical comic book shop owner, guy who was always there, he was always reading like a 2,000 page fantasy book, <laughs> and when you'd ask him a question, he would never, he would he would answer the question perfectly eloquently he knew the star he, he knew his store front and backwards but he would never lift his eyes from the page of the fancy <laughs> book he was reading and he'd be like yeah alpha flight that's gonna be over in the a's obviously you know like <laughs> and i, I first I, honestly i i think he was a huge influence because i was so impressed by i thought it first off i thought he was the coolest guy in omaha nebraska you know, I mean, you know, he he was an adult, but he didn't dress like an adult. And he, the books he was reading always looked so fantastical and wonderful. So because of this guy named Terry, I immediately kind of skipped over kid comics yeah. and wanted to go after more, you know, uh, evocative kind of weirdo. You know, I mean, like, I guess like back then, an X-Men comic was kind of like, an edgy comic, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, back absolutely. in the 80s when I, you know, kind of started reading. And, and I think the era, so X-Men was really one of the first ones I picked up because I thought the covers looked so cool. And I yeah. think when I first started like looking through them, I was more understanding the story through the pictures because I don't think my reading comprehension level was like there yet. <laughs> I, mean, I was pretty those, young. Those 80s X-Men were pretty dense. I mean, that was probably Chris Claremont for the most yeah, part. Chris like, yeah, Chris Claremont. Yeah. yeah. Thick dialogue sometimes. It, it was. <laughs> but, you know, once I, I was like determined, and I think one thing that like, you know, being into the paranormal and comic books, it forced me, it like made me really like pursue reading. Yeah. And trying to become, because like, I was not like, I think interested in a lot of the media and comic books available to kids my age. I immediately want to read what people five years older were reading and watching. Totally. So it really like, I was like, I'm going to read this and understand it. I was like pissed off about it, you know, like, so I was driven to read and understand, but Chris Claremont, you kind of, you mentioned his name. I would say in my childhood years, probably the most formative comic book writer for me. That makes sense. And it lines up with, uh, I mean, I, so I missed out on that whole chunk of eight. I was born in 85. So by right, the time right, right. I was old yeah, enough, you missed to, that. Yeah, I right. missed that whole chunk. But it was like one of the first things I went back to when I got into superhero comics in like the 2000s and stuff, which uh, it was so 
informative to where a lot of other pop culture stuff came from, which was really interesting to me. And I, right. I think comics is a really good ability of doing that, of like kind of having these fingerprints all over other parts of culture without you really knowing that they were in there, you know, uh-huh, that, uh-huh. that whole style and that, that very soap opery, uh, yeah. nature. It was very it. serialized in cliffhangers, uh-huh. you know, now question to you, how did, cause I haven't actually gone back and read a Claremont comic, you know, for a God, 30 yeah. years, but how did it hold up? Like in the early two thousands? At that time, it wasn't my favorite thing to read. Like I Uh got through and I didn't actually finish like the whole run or even close to it just because at the same time, there was so many other uh, versions of the X-Men that, you know, had all the good parts of what Claremont was doing, but kind Uh of cut out a lot of the uh, the stuff that was a little excessive or just like kind of uh, it could be dry. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, okay, I can't reach it from now. I always I forget I have wired headphones now, but honestly, um. What came out around not too long after I tried to read it was the X-Men Grand Design uh, project that Ed Pisker did, where he essentially retold the entire history of the X-Men in a few uh, volumes. And that was like, I read that and I was like, I don't need to read too much other stuff and kind of like stopped reading the Claremont. But it was never my favorite. That time period and those uh, Marvel comics and everything were just never my uh-huh. favorite go to. And I think uh, I think so many people that I talk to love them so much. And I I just if I experienced them at a different time without having all the other stuff around yeah. it, I probably would have been in the same boat, but they just never right. really clicked for me. Um, right. I hear you. But yeah, did you so did you stick like were you reading comics from that time on or did you drop off reading or did you stick yeah. with it pretty th- pretty straight through? Not really. Uh, you know, I gosh, from probably like early grade school until like seventh grade, I was a pretty cons- I was definitely I was a collector. I would go to comic book shows at like that's awesome. You know, holiday ends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they would open they up all the yeah. And I, I loved all that stuff. And then I think seventh grade rolled around and I got really, really, really into UFOs and punk rock culture yeah. and zines and stuff. So that kind of, I think, took over maybe, you know, the allowance money I had in terms of purchasing <laughs> uh, stuff. But it felt like a very seamless transition because I yes. don't, a lot of what I love about punk rock culture from the 80s and 90s is that. I, uh, I forget the art, the wonderful artist who uh, created all the Black Flags, like, album cover. Lester or something. Uh, He's a famous Betty artist. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. In L.A., they do a show. I mean, like, I still to this day think it is some of the most beautiful al- album cover. It's, it's like, they're so, they're so layered with message and, oh, like, yeah. you know, DIY, take it into your own hands and totally. screw the man. And, and, like, that was appealing to me at a young age. Mm-hmm. And to me, it it read like a whole comic book. If you just like, and, and, and I, I will say, I feel like a lot of the the best album covers from the eighties and the nineties really were punk bands because they needed to catch attention. They didn't have like a marketing um, team behind them, and they weren't in <laughs> Rolling Stone, so they had to catch your eye, you know, because you had never heard of this band. And a lot of times, I would buy punk albums based on the covers and like yes. misfits always had cool covers and I was like, oh yeah whoa you know and it felt like a comic book to me because like even if you think about like the early iteration of like the misfits with glenn danzig they were comic book characters oh they yeah. were dressed up like zombies and i wasn't sure as looking i'm like are these like 
people monsters, you know, yes. like, <laughs> and it was so attractive to me. And, and uh, so I, I'm sorry, I kind of tangentialized that question, but uh, no, that was perfect. I, I will say, yeah, I think kind of like through my teenage years, the punk rock magazines, and they would have little comic strips in there too, but like I was just the ephemera of punk rock felt like comic books to me. It was just kind of like the next, next stage yes. for me. No, I think it was always uh, a part of it. Like it was a hundred percent there from the Ramones on. Like they, oh, yeah. they were cartoon characters a hundred percent. Like yep. when, when you look at them as a band, you're just like, oh yeah, those don't look like real people. If you look closely. And right. I think that that was a big, the, um, the thing that comics does so well sometimes that I think punk does at the same time is this mix of absurdity and seriousness and like kind of having like you have a band like Black Flag that has very yep. serious songs and also have songs like Six Pack and like you kind of have absolutely this combination. TV party. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you kind of have this combination of like um, uh, fighting the good fight and enjoying life at the same time. And I feel absolutely. like comics are a good example of that. And I mean, you mentioned uh, Raymond Pettibone, who is just one of the all time great artists. Like it, I kind yeah. of Sonic youth, all kinds of just absolutely. iconic, iconic imagers. Also a comic book artist, like not as well known for it, but also is makes he really, I didn't know yeah, that. he's made some comics through his years and like was never a full time or like something right. that he did like all, but he definitely has a bunch of zine like in that same exact style, but just like sequential artwork. That's really cool. And like, I am going to yeah. look into that. I, I'm sure I would love it. <laughs> there's a, there's a few really good videos on it in the YouTubes that you can check out to, uh, to, to get uh, your bearings with it, but it's, it's amazing. And like that whole connection is so important. One of my favorite um, people that kind of championed comics and zines that I connected with really early on in the punk scene was Aaron Comic Bus. And like he did a zine called Comic Bus that is still going, I'm pretty sure. And like is just one of the, so he handwrites all of it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with these, but essentially he handwrites all of it. There'll be like 40 page pro zines that are this beautiful handwriting and he was i mean when he first started he was living in a uh hollowed out school bus in california in the woods that he had a Whoa. generator and a copy machine and like would make his zines and live in his school and like he was just the dude that i like idolized as far as just living with like no regrets and just does exactly what he wants and makes exactly what he wants and like he was in a bunch of amazing bands like uh pinhead gunpowder was his main band with billy joe from green day so it was billy joe's like first side project essentially and aaron comabus writes all the lyrics and plays drums and billy joe plays guitar and sings and they had have some other member it 100 percent uh recommend looking up pinhead gunpowder for any green day fans that have not looked into it you'll you'll absolutely adore it it's beautiful it's like a wow. uh, a more wobbly green day with better lyrics in certain regards interesting yeah okay, yeah okay. and i love I'm green intrigued. day green day might be my favorite band ever so i'm not saying that lightly but uh aaron yeah. Plus, <laughs> he might be my favorite writer in in general so but yeah that is a, a beautiful connection that you made there so after you kind of left reading and uh moved on to the punk scene and like getting into mm-hmm. scene culture and everything did you reconnect with comics at a certain point uh-huh. I did, and I think uh, you and I have talked about this gentleman who uh, – it reconnected me pretty hardcore where I remember seeing – I was in a, again, punk rock record store in the, at the end of college in the late 90s, and – or it might actually – no, I think it was like 2000, and I remember seeing the guy who I really thought was cool running the comic book sh- shop wearing an eight-ball shirt. Yes. 
a Daniel Klaus eight ball shirt. And then I asked him what that was. I go, Oh, I never heard of that band. And he told me it wasn't a band. It was a comic book guy. He's like, you have to get it. So I literally went to the comic book shop <laughs> and got the 20th century eight ball, uh, kind of like, it's sort of an anthology of all yeah. the, the eight ball comics, read it. and was totally changed. It was honestly one of the most inspirational. I, I was blown away. It is. I don't know if it, it, so. It was written by Daniel Klaus, and I don't know the history too much. I feel like it was his first or one of the first forays into comics mm-hmm. was Eight Ball, right? Am I right about that? That so it was his first thing that broke through real big. Broke like, through. He had a okay. few. He like there's some really weird '80s Klaus stuff. Like he worked for Cracked Magazine for a while. Oh, I and didn't know that. You would never really recognize it. So there's right. like like he probably made comics for like eight to 10 years before eight ball got substantial, Uh, but eight ball, he was like solidified Dan Klaus. It was his first work of full, like, and he put it out as an anthology because he just had all of these ideas and these different, he was, uh, he's part of this like classic, uh, generation of artists that like kind of changed alternative comics and brought back a whole, um, it brought back a movement for independent comics that was kind right. of dying down. And, and yeah. eight ball was huge. Eight ball love and rockets. They're probably the love and rockets. Yes. I loved. Okay. So yeah. The, the thing I loved about, I mean, I could talk about eight ball for a long time. He really, it, one, yeah, no, it, it's bring one it on of the funniest, like just pieces of, literary media I've ever read in my entire <laughs> life. Like it's it, still to this day, like it, First off, it's one of those things, like, I feel like some comics probably have aged, maybe not so well. Mm-hmm. This is prescient for the times now <laughs> because so it is true. layered. Like, Klaus has this way of creating this sort of kind of like it's a reflection of society, yet it's maybe has a slightly more dystopian bend, but it's a very pleasant dystopia to be in. <laughs> I don't yes. know how to describe yes. it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> no, 100%. I, like it's like if you think of like you know Wilson or something like that. It's it's yes. a very it's kind of a grim world that I find appealing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how to put it, but it makes no, me feel perfect. like it makes me. I, I don't know. I it, and eight ball was really it's so deeply smart. Yes, and so economical with storyline. It, it's one of the one of these things where it's like you know I was a burgeoning writer back when I was reading. I was you know writing my first horrible screenplays. And I remember feeling so stupid compared to him. I'm like, hey, this guy is nailing his point yes. in like seven panels with like probably 12 sentences. 100%. And I'm trying to like, you know, like, 100%. so I mean, he, he he really is just special because he's, he's taking kind of like either really small ideas and turning them big or really big ideas and turning them small. And yes. like, and not many writers can do that. Just, yeah. I'm convinced. <laughs> and I think comics are the perfect medium to do those things because of its symbolic language, because it can uh-huh. take something like, excuse me, I may have said this every episode at this point, but it can take something as complex as like the human eye. That's like one of the most complex systems we know of and simplify it down to literally a polka dot on a page that you're like, Oh, that's an eyeball. And like, that's yeah. the power of comics. And it has this thing where if you utilize the language that it created, it calls on the end user or the reader's imagination in a different way than any other medium can. There's right. these panel gaps between each panel that you're filling in and you might be filling in 
five seconds from panel to panel, or it could be five years or 50 years. Like your, your brain is doing so much work. And then there's all the shorthand. There's the fact that we see something that has a little like, you know, dotted line coming out of it. And we know that that's a motion line. And there's all this yeah. little symbology that just reads fast. And like the best comics utilize, that's what I, held up this earlier before we recorded this I Am Stan by Tom Scioli and what is beautiful Tom's I love Tom's work in general but what's beautiful about this book this is one of his newest works he has simplified it all down so well and it's so iconographic and still well rendered and beautiful but at the same right. time just so easily readable and you can read the whole thing in like an hour so fast and still get so much out of it because he's using that comics language so masterfully and that's what Klaus is to me like he yeah. takes that language that has been built over decades and decades and he just plays in it perfectly and he pushes yeah. it a little bit and changes some things but right. he really utilizes what that language does to take those giant ideas and 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 those giant emotions because that's the other thing that yep. I think comics engage with us a little differently is our emotional interactions with it just for the same reason that our imagination is engaging like you can be devastated by a four panel sequence from Klaus or Schultz with with uh peanuts or like, sure. calvin and Hobbes, like you can be left in tears with like f literally four panels of something and yeah. that is so powerful and oh, i yeah. mean before i shut up with all this rambling here uh the no, only no, thing no. i'll say that Klaus is like a beautiful example of is comics and this is something that you can probably talk on a little bit more is so unique especially in today where it's not made by committee it's one voice that's sitting at a right. table telling a whole story Klaus is a beautiful example because he is writing drawing inking coloring lettering the whole thing designing the book doing the layout the whole thing there is not one letter or anything in there that was not purposely placed by the creator and Absolutely. that's just something that like doesn't exist in most storytelling mediums you know you're you're very right and i and, and you know there there is like this argument in the you know in the super geek film world where people are like oh the best films are made by auteurs like mm -hmm. you know kubrick scorsese lynch and you know a lot of those 70 filmmakers and i agree those movies are amazing but like the idea of auteurship and film to me doesn't really exist because they, you know, like they can, I, I think like when people speak of auteur in film, they think of like, well, this guy had a guy or woman had complete control over what was appearing on screen. That is true. And so like, I feel like that's why, you know, Lynch, Kubrick, early Scorsese, even early Coppola, uh, Michael Cimino, those guys from the seventies, it really was this time where the studios we're giving them small budgets going like, look, we're making a ton of movies. Yeah. We're not really doing these big temple movies very much. So we're just getting these young filmmakers like, we don't want to pay attention. It's like, you know, we can write it off if it doesn't work. So here's two million bucks. Go off to, you know, the Pine Barrens, make a movie. And if it's good, <laughs> great. Totally. That does not exist anymore in the <laughs> film world at all. And so even like when, with independent film, independent film, almost sometimes is more reliant upon doing what a small financer says. Cause you know, yeah. it's a guy who's giving you, you know, $1.5 million to make an indie movie. But this guy, this dentist in, you know, Chicago can't really afford to lose that money. Yeah. So, you know, like while people say, like, oh, independent film, they got to do whatever they want. That is not true. Like at all, you know, it's just, so that as an example, I feel like in comics, it is different. So, like, it makes perfect sense to have this auteurship 
And I think you're going to get a better quality. That's why, like your example with Daniel Klaus, I think that's why it is so wonderful. Yeah. Because art, if it's being made by committee, it should be made by a committee of artists, not <laughs> Not 90% businessmen and 10% artists. That's yes. where film gets it wrong, I think. You know what I'm saying? Especially comics, too. Like, like the mainstream yeah. comics. I just heard a story the other day about Todd McFarlane and essentially that whole 90s disruption where Todd leaves and right. he at first goes to DC and DC's trying to get McFarlane and, and uh, Rob Liefeld and all the image crew to come there when they're leaving Marvel and they make this whole pitch to them and, and Todd's like, well, this is all fine, but did you have any artists work on any of these ideas? Have you asked any visual artists? Because right. I'm looking at this room and these are all editors and writers and there's not one visual artist in a visual medium being represented and that's problematic. So no, thank you. We're going to go do our yeah. own thing. Like, <laughs> right. And that makes perfect sense. You totally. Know, like... So, I mean, I think there's still that issue where like people forget how where things are going to be run and it does result in poor products in a certain way but it does yeah. uh, there are and I, I i run this uh you know or walk this line plenty where I, I think there are beautiful um examples of collaboration that could only happen like there's art pieces that are made through collaboration that could only happen through collaboration right like mm -hmm. one of my mm -hmm. favorite person in comics is grant morrison and i mean i love grant morrison yes absolutely only yeah. collaborates and works with two people becoming one and like same thing with fans like most I, and music's almost the exact opposite now that i think about it i like way less solo independent one boy like and i like way more ensemble you know right that's interesting right. now that, that sorry i just had that little epiphany there um but uh no you're right you're right it's uh it is funny how that like there is value to both but i think there's something super special and it's interesting that you mentioned someone like lynch because well one daniel clouds gets uh you know ex or excuse me daniel clouds gets compared to lynch all the time like it's mm -hmm. one of his main lynchian is one of the main um yep. descriptors used for his comics especially his newest book i don't know if you've read monica yet but you're gonna i have it. it ordered i i have it ordered because you mentioned it when you were on my show and i, yes. wrote, I remember like, writing it down like oh, i didn't know that was out <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna absolutely love it don't listen to any of the interviews with clouds before you read it like he doesn't give spoilers but you'll you need to read this fresh i want all of our paranormal friends to read this like darcy actually was just about to read it or has started it when we talked yesterday and we're going to do a whole episode about it when uh, she's finished. Oh, because, red. Yeah. I'm real excited about it. And there's lots of paranormal themes. It deals with a lot of death and consciousness and like very, very big stuff right here that I think all of us will resonate really well. And he does this thing that is so nice where like, you know, if you love, um, you know, whatever it is, and you make something that is about that thing you love, you have a very uh, close view of it, and you're representing things very accurately. And sometimes when an outsider comes and portrays that thing that you love, they almost do it more accurately because they're an outsider to it, if that makes yes. sense. And yes. I feel like Klaus nails some of these paranormal themes because he's not immersed in these stories or this world or this mythology, right. but he's had these big experiences that he's writing about out and like that he is putting into uh into this beautiful book and it's interesting uh, it's almost yeah. again like lynch where it's it's speaking truer to the paranormal than like most of the books actually about the paranormal <laughs> right right i mean lynch is an example where like if i've i feel like at this point i've read every like unauthor, unauthor, 
unauthorized biography, seen all the Lynch documentaries, probably read nearly every interview with him. I'm obsessive, <laughs> right? And have been for my whole life. But he never, ever, ever talks about paranormal. Yeah. Or UFOs or yeah. ghosts. Yet yeah. he is like the most high strange American filmmaker of all time. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, like, but Absolutely. that guy, but he, his vehicle is different than most paranormalists where it's like, I think he's interact to him. He is interacting with something, you know, in the subconscious and with, through his meditation. Yes. Yes. You know, and, I mean, he talks about, he's like, all my, all my good stuff comes from meditation. He's like, that's why I don't make shot lists before I shoot because the meditation that morning is going to tell me what, how to place the camera, you know, <laughs> like, so yes, that sense. to me, I mean, like you're using different language. That sounds like he's, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, the character in Dinah Walsh Pasolko's book, you know, <laughs> like yes, that Tim yes. Taylor guy getting, yes. you know, or like the whole, like people are talking about the download process, you know, uh -huh. and yep. through artists and writers and scientists. 100%. 100%. And that's the same thing, <laughs> but he's been saying it for, you know, 35 years. And uh, yeah, no, and I can't remember if we were recording or not, but I think he's a great example of what we were talking about before, where when this stuff's utilized in the the way that I like to kind of interact with it best, it uh, leads you to these conversations of consciousness and yeah. death and these big questions. And that's stuff you can find Lynch talking about. It's some of the only yep. stuff you can find Lynch talking about. Absolutely. It's <laughs> quantum physics links to meditation and all of these beautiful, yeah. beautiful uh uh, raps that he goes on that yeah, like yeah i mean yeah yeah he's you know, he stopped making movies for like a decade because he wants to talk about that stuff and go around the world and talk about that stuff like it's funny because for a guy who claimed or, like you would see not into the paranormal well man he sh he's dead sure dedicated his life to a lot of high strangeness you know yeah. even outside of like his artwork yeah and it makes it more it's funny because it makes it it gives people a different entryway to this. Cause I do uh -huh. think that that's like part of the whole um, idea of interacting with this stuff, whether it's from kind of a fan level that I right. would say that I interact right. with a lot of it, like just listening it's, it's, it's meant to kind of give us a bigger worldview and to kind of like snap in the idea that like, we should think about things a little differently and all of that. And that's not going to be the access point to everybody. Like a lot of people right. are going to see UFO stuff and never get past nuts and bolts it's not going to be yeah. the thing that does it but david lynch talking about transcendental meditation that might be the thing that does it you know absolutely terrence mckenna talking about how santa claus is a uh, is tied to the mushrooms and all this right. stuff that might yeah. be the thing like there's all these entry points to uh get into this weirder thought that at the base of it is to kind of recognize that we're not really living in this materialist world that it's all way more conscious, mental, fundamental issues and like things yeah. like that. Like, I think once we get past those things, it leads to those ideas of interconnectedness and all the stuff that allows us to like, just be more introspective and reflective Absolutely. and treat everybody nicer, including ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, and this, I think sort of relates to what you're saying. Like, you, as a professional artist, like you sit down in front of a blank uh, panel or, you know, piece of paper or canvas or, you know, uh, iPad screen. There's many different forms, obviously, <laughs> but they're all the same for my example. But like, Absolutely. it really is. So like a blank piece of paper, white piece of paper is just a portal that the artist fills in 
what what manifestation of the art paranormal is going to come through. So, you know, like, and that's, you can even think about like, you know, UFOs, for example, in the 60s, 70s, we were seeing like a thousand different kinds of alien creatures coming off the flying saucer, you know, you know, and then it got more homogenized to like a few different kinds, but it was just UFOs are the same thing as a blank piece of paper to me where it's almost a portal. It's like, here's something, what you've experienced within the, seeing this thing is going to be different depending on the user or the viewer, I should say, or the artist, no, you know, like, or so the true. consumer of the artist. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, that, that's why I do love, you know, great Bishop and like, even like valet to a certain point kind of saying that like, there is a co-creational aspect to this stuff. And like, you know, Greg even goes a step further and says like, what if UFOs are a cosmic art project? Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. And I don't think he's saying literally, <laughs> but metaphorically, you know, like, and to me, that makes great sense. Cause I, I don't know this for a fact, but there's an idea I just love and have kind of like decided to believe it. But I think artists throughout time, going back to when they're scrolling in caves, were not always, but inspired by whether you want to call it folklore mysticism things seen in the sky ghosts appearing in a forest i think i think the paranormal actually is inextricably linked with art yes whether people like it or not <laughs> that, yes. but that's just my own idea i can't like prove that no you know? you're like, in the uh the the safest of spaces to talk yeah. about that idea because that is 100 percent where i land and i i mean i love playing with this idea that we are in a living artifact that we are inside yeah. a giant artwork right and that kind of i Grant think Morrison, i like that idea yeah, the Grant Morrison idea of, you know, that this is all hypersigil, like this is all essentially mm-hmm. mythology and story. And what I think that you just touched on that's so it's not only beautiful, but it's useful is it gets down to one of the like talking about comics like we are we have superpowers that we don't even recognize and it's in the form of the imagination like when you start talking about these things it makes you realize that one of our superpowers is that we can control the metacognitive or metaconsciousness abilities that we have like we can we can play with that little voice in our head and it might be hard and it might not stick ever it might not always be but like we can reframe and redirect our thoughts and i'm not saying that it's exactly like you can think it and it's going to manifest physically but if you're having a shitty day and you force yourself to smile and think about something you like you're going to have a little bit less of a shitty day and like those are our superpowers that we forget that we have and like the less it's like anything else the less we use them the the weaker they become and the harder they are to call to mind and like i don't know it's 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 not i am not the type that is uh easy or I am very prone to anxiety and uh, very, <laughs> you know, <laughs> brain-eating thoughts, as I like to call them. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> I know what that's about. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And uh, I think more than ever, with this ability to constantly have something playing in our ears and constantly be looking at a screen and all of this stuff, we can kind of uh, let that ability to change and redirect our thoughts calcify because we can just distract. Right. And that's not actually right. changing the thoughts. That's just distracting where like right. if part of changing it is sitting with it for a minute and being like, okay, like that's... what is this? And like, what's going on and recognizing how often it pops up. Cause it's something that you have to change like 
once every six months, it's probably not that big of a deal. You can probably move on. But if it's something that you're grappling with every day, you should probably address a deeper issue of some sort. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, you know, Robert Anton Wilson, I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of his work. Uh, oh, yeah. But he, he, you know, the the concept that, you know, and this is probably what he's most famous for or one of the things he's most famous for is the idea of reality tunnels. 100%. And I, you know, he's not saying like, look, you, you can choose a reality tunnel and all of a sudden you're not in debt or you're not having, you know, you know, your dog's not going to be sick, yes. but there's subtle ways of shifting. I think a trajectory of a road you're going down that may be harmful or unhealthy or not, Exactly, the, the, what you're desiring, 100%. and I, I, I do think about that. If I'm having a shitty day or things aren't going are going down a way, I'm like, uh, this is not going to be end up good. I am, am sort of able to just because I read his work and when I first read about the reality channel, I was like, yeah, that sounds nice, but <laughs> but I feel like I've gotten a little older and now I get it. It's just almost like a mindset. It's like, yes. look, you can't change the reality around you but you can change how you approach the reality around you. And I think to me, that's what reality tunnels really yeah. is. At least to me, that's what I'm getting from uh, that. And I think 100%. it's a great, like almost kind of like self therapy. Cause mm -hmm. one thing you were saying, like, I remember I, I recently was going into a doctor's appointment and I left my phone in my car okay. and I had probably like a 25 minute wait. And I had to sit there for the first time in a long time without any kind of like media stimulation. And I was like, whoa, it was like a very, it, it felt like five hours long, this 25 minutes. Yep. Granted, you know, 10, 15 years ago to wait 25 minutes and just be alone with your thoughts wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I used to take a book with me everywhere, but like I would forget it sometimes, but I would be okay. And I almost felt like this anxiety and paranoia of like, oh, I don't know what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, like what's happening? What if I miss a text message or like what if like uh, you know, breaking news happens? And I felt like nervous. And I, I, I do think I, I think that if we're only being, you know, like, okay, I, I'm trying to put this in a way where it will make sense. But like I think being alone without stimulation, media stimulation is good for art. Yes. And I don't think necessarily being bombarded 24 seven, I feel like you're just, the art's going to start repeating itself and we're going to get less and less original new ideas coming out of it. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's my own thought. And I may sound old fashioned, but I think I'm, I'm doing my best to sit al alone with my thoughts. That's kind of my new year's resolution. Yes. It's like, Hey man, maybe you don't need to like, Right now, if I'm going to go take the garbage out, which is a two and a half, three minute job, I'll put on a piece of a podcast or a Me song. Too. Me too. I'm, I'm like, dude, you have to do something for three minutes. I'll spend five minutes choosing the song where I'm going to do an activity for three minutes. I'm like, that is crazy. <laughs> but yet I do it every day. You know, oh so gosh. I'm trying to like pull back and say like, hey man, what if you, what if you did something crazy and brave? You went outside to the garbage out to the end of the driveway without any headphones in. Oh man, that's wild, Steve. <laughs> You're a real <laughs> rebel. You're a real Fonzie over here, dude. You know, like, but I mean, it's the baby steps to it because I do think that sometimes those blank thoughts that come to your mind between the, you know, your garage and the end of the driveway, that could be magical. Yes. But if I'm just being told a story, I may not get any kind of like, oh, dude, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'm not saying like, you know, like, 
I still love media. I love podcasts. I listen to a ton of them yep, and yeah. music no. and everything. Okay. But I'm trying to like pull back a tiny bit. The yeah. very your baby steps. You just hit on something that's like one of the rawest nerves for me because I do it all the time and like I'm working on the same thing. And like there'll be times where I'll be with the kids and they'll be like, Dad, I want a glass of orange juice and I'll go get one and I'll put the headphones on and I'll listen to you know, literally like a yep. minute of a podcast that I right. started. And then when they come running in and like, Where's my orange juice? I'll get frustrated and be like, oh, I just need a and I'm like, wait a second. This is your doing, dummy. Like, hold on. Like they what do you what's your problem? But yeah, no, I all the time, even like I just mentioned this again to darcy on our conversation yesterday i've been like i get up and i make coffee and Uh i start drawing usually and i have to fight the urge to pick up the headphones and put on a podcast or a youtube video or whatever it is that i've been listening to before i went to bed because like it's like usually i'm I'll, I'll literally compromise I'll be like just do the first 10 minutes without the headphones and then you can listen to whatever and like you yep. will go and usually after those 10 minutes are gone i don't even like it'll be an hour i'm like oh i never started listening to anything but if right. i start it's that exact same thing where i'm like a half hour just trying to figure out what i want to listen to and where i you know and then i'm like oh well i guess it's time to make lunch now and not have yeah. any time to do things it is such a good point and like I, I, yeah no, I, I was just saying, like, I think when I'm curating every minute of my day with some kind of media stimulation, I feel like maybe, like, what am I, am I avoiding, like, being alone with my thoughts because I don't want to deal with something I'm, like, is it a way to, like, push off, like, yes. uh, my Dude, own, like, you know, uh, you know, my own, not problems, but just own thoughts where it's like, because, like, I, I want, because, you know, it's interesting how, like, you know, and. I think every generation thinks, oh, these are the worst times ever, you know, and, but granted, we are going through some like objectively tumultuous times. Totally. It's really weird. Right. And I wonder if like, you know, the, it's funny how the, it's coincided with a 24 seven media bombardment when, you know, and it's almost like a good, we're all distracting ourselves (laughs) because I I wonder if we're, I wonder if we're keeping ourselves from actually solving solvable problems by always distracting a hundred percent and i think it's one of those things that like is there's a correlation like i don't know necessarily think there's a causation like i don't think that there's right. like like there's a lot of uh conspiracy conspiracy style minded folks that could make a case for you know the two being linked very but i do right. think they are linked but not in a way that people that it's being like purposefully disseminated to distract or anything like I agree. that i, I think totally dis- agree yeah. i think distraction has been the name of the game since we had media like i think that's absolutely been, like, like since, since advertising came out since advertising and media linked together whenever that was i think that has been the name of the game and oh, like yeah. the it, it's way more sad money stuff than it is like anything else i think sometimes but yeah. uh but there is uh, that's a i hadn't really thought about that but that is so true there's a giant correlation there and it is like it's like the self-medicating of culture. It's like, it's like, uh-huh. it, it's like the response. It's like this cultural response to what's going on in the world. And it's right. like anything else we are, we're the calls and the solution. It's like that. One of my favorite, uh, Simpsons line beer, the calls and solution to all of life's problems. And like, <laughs> I feel like we are that. And this is exactly a, like, how yeah, we're creating these giant problems and the way to handle them at the same time in a weird way. But the other thing that I wanted to kind of talk to you about that you brought up is this idea of like reshaping our thoughts. And like, you know, I think that 
uh, Wilson's one of my favorites, right? I think uh-huh. everybody should go through a Robert Anton Wilson phase for a million reasons, but like yeah. just his notions of agnosticism and not being married to beliefs and all of these things that right. as a culture, we've like kind of gone down the other path and like the idea right. that like everybody has a little bit of the puzzle and like, you know, crossing anyone out is kind of doing yourself a disservice. And totally agree. I think, I think that's like, very important. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other aspect that I love that he talks about, and this kind of takes what you were talking about to the next level, and folks like Mitch Horowitz and other people I really respect and enjoy their work talking the same way, is if you start reshaping those thoughts, well, fuck, take a look around because your world will reshape. Like, you know, his whole idea of the hero's script and and writing yourself is like, if you're constantly talking to yourself in the way of like, oh, I'm a piece of shit and I didn't do this, right? Like, just try for a little bit to rewrite it as you are the hero and the protagonist and the winner of the story and watch if that doesn't change your actual physical interactions because it does. And like, again, I'm not saying that you can manifest things physically just by thinking about them the next day, but just the way that you interact interact with other people and the world around you and the situations you come across, it does change if you do that kind of self-reflective work of like, you know, putting yourself in that hero script that Wilson talked about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I completely agree. And I think there is a role that art plays and that is, I guess, maybe one of my concerns with concerns with the, you know, in here, I don't want to sound like an old man here, but like (laughs) how media has been so fractured where like, I do think, you know, like going back to like, you know, the Greek Roman, you know, plays and stuff like that. Art really was a thing that the bourgeois and the, you know, poorest people in those societies could come together on. Yeah. And have this common bond. And even kind of, even in our lifetime, like, gosh, you know, before the internet, you know, like, Everyone was watching the, the last, I mean, not everyone, but like so many people were watching the last episode of Seinfeld and yep. you would talk about it with like, you know, your mechanic, you know, like, it's like, oh, wow, did you see that? That was crazy. What George did. Yeah. And, and, it was, and, and that's simple mainstream art, but mainstream art, while I love, I love things that are like a little more marginal, but mainstream art, you can't like deny the significance and importance of it. Yes. A hundred percent. And I do think there is like, um, it has caused more strife mm-hmm. and kind of people planting flags in their belief system corner because we don't have these things that can cross, yeah, cross and- over that can appeal to everyone. And we can all talk about, you know, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's one of my, uh, one of the things I think about the most in life right now is that kind of cultural cohesion that um, seems to be lost. And I was telling you right before the interview that I talked to someone the other day, and uh, they essentially brought up the fact that like they grew up in a monoculture and like that culture, and there is a lot of negatives to that monoculture. And I was totally like, oh are. yeah, I'm not, I'm not I, I, I can see how it looks like I'm calling back for that, but I'm not. But the point I was trying to make that I think we're kind Kind of talking about the same thing is that without that monoculture all of the stuff that like we kind of really connected with as weirdos it kind of isn't it doesn't have the same gravitas like no. a, a, a twin peaks coming out in 1990 like half the reason twin peaks is so special besides being a beautiful work of art was the context of the time and the oh, place yeah. in which it, it aired and we oh, don't yeah. have that context anymore which like is fine and i'm not saying is a negative thing again i don't want to go back to a monoculture i I don't either yeah i like this place that we were just talking about before where everybody can create things and the accessibility to distribute what you make is there and all of that 
but it is very different from what we kind of grew up on and what like I think I get most interested in is how this changes people's creative lives moving forward. Like how uh, the loss of that kind of, um, uh, what, what's the word that wanting to be a part of that mainstream culture, like that's not a thing that really happens anymore. Right. No. So now what you're making is to gain this like very small subset of people. Yeah. Right. And that's what you're right. kind of growing up with your sights on. So how does that change the stories that those people tell? Like, what are the new, you know, like, you know, 10 years from now, what are going to be the new comics and cultural mythologies? And like, maybe it's way better and way more like, we can't even imagine the, and that's where I like, I think it's going to go. And like the creative bounds are unknown, but man, it does seem like there's, um, there's a cohesiveness that used to function in a certain way. And what replaces that it will be interesting. Right, and, and the thing is, like, it may not be better or worse. It's just what what I kind of grew up with was a monoculture, and so I I guess I up to like the you know the internet age in the early two thousands when it was popularized and media was starting to appear in it. That is just what we had known as human beings yeah. is a monoculture, totally. really for the 100%. most part. You know, like, <laughs> and even so, that was really new. <laughs> it was really totally. You're so right. So it, we're seeing, you know, it, in. I don't think you can dismiss the importance of art culture changing because, you know, like it is. And like you said, like, I think one of the great positives of the culture and communities fracturing into small little groups is that I think we are going to see better art. Not, not, I shouldn't say better, but we're going to see more risks being taken because if you have a small community of 1500 loyal fans, they're going to be okay with a couple misses, but you're taking, you're taking a shot. But when you're working for in a monoculture and it's big business and corporations are usually linked to it, you have to avoid any risk taking. They don't want to take risks at all. Trust me. Like (laughs) as a person who's worked in corporate media for 20 years, risk taking is the, is the two worst words ever you can bring up in in a pitch meeting. Absolutely. They want something safe. They want a formula. They want to go hedge their bets. Oh, I believe it. But it's really it. the art that takes that risk, that shot, yeah. that Hail Mary pass that stands the test of time. So I, I think it. I think we may be seeing like this flourishing of great works. Now, whether we'll all know about them or they'll <laughs> be available to, you know, like there's going to be so many. But I think there is some really meaningful stuff happening now for yeah. sure. Like yeah. I'm not one of those bygone era people. I think no, there was yeah. really good aspects to – cultures being able to come together through media and art, but those days are gone and they're never coming back. So, you know, like we, we, we can wish for them again, but like it, it's, it's never going to swing back the other way. I don't think. No, I think you're right. And I think you're like a hundred percent dead on, like besides just like the immense diversity that's allowed now and the different voices that can be heard that were never heard before in any medium as well as exactly what you were saying that you can take a risk with your small group of people and like you know you might have three bombs but then you might make the best thing ever and like absolutely through those three bombs is something that like no giant media structure would allow for (laughs) so i think that's right Beautiful point. And, and you know what happens with like eight, a lot of times I look back on like bands I like, you know, I love this band called the Brian Jonestown Massacre and oh, yeah. they've made 20 some albums. And a lot of the albums that came out when they, you know, when they came out, I was like, eh, this is okay. He, you know, it's going a little weird, you yeah. know, 
I, but then five years later, I'll go back and go, oh my God, this, this is actually probably the best album. Absolutely. So I think a lot of those risk-taking art pieces are not necessarily appreciated when they when they are released. But 100%. because they're they're complex, they were taking a big risk. But as you get to know the artist better, you go back and review that risk-taking kind yes. of like obtuse piece and go, oh shit, actually, this is the gold. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Like, it makes me think, the, this whole conversation also makes me think about this rap that uh, Doug Rushkoff talks about where we as a uh, culture or society went from being ingesting media and culture via a read only context for so long uh-huh. to going to a read write context with the internet for the first time right. we could be a voice that had something to do to, with changing what uh-huh. we were ingesting and that wasn't right. like we both even though we're a little bit um different with age we both lived on the cusp of that though like we oh, both yeah. went from that read only to like oh, now we have direct connection with mm-hmm. the creators and the everything else, and we can make the stuff and all of that. And that is a better form. Like, it is, like, no matter what, like, it changes with everything else, like, the read-write yep. ability is better than the read-only ability. And I, Absolutely. Or, yeah, I mean, I, it, I, I always think about, like, when I, you know, like, I'll talk to, you know, some people my age or hovering around my age, older or younger, and they'll all, you know, not all, but, like, a lot of them are, like, Oh man, me, you know, all my kid does is watch like YouTube stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but imagine if you were nine years old yes. and your favorite, you know, filmmaker or actor or, you know, even a football player or whatever, you could interact with them. Yeah. I mean, game over. I would have lost my mind, you know, like 100%. it would have been the best thing ever if I could, you know, interact with Mark Hamill who played Luke Skywalker or something, you know, like <laughs> I would have, I would have hopped on that train in a second, you know, and that's a so, great point. Cause you know, I, we we're even before this conversation, we were talking about uh kind of uh, different attention spans with media these days. And like, maybe there are these other factors and it's not just the fact that kids don't want to sit down for a full hour and a half movie anymore. Maybe it is that relation, that relatability, factor where they're mm-hmm. they're looking at a a bunch of characters on a screen that they have no clue who are when they could just be watching somebody that is literally their friend like they have yeah. that like same relationship yeah. that we all do with podcasters yep. and everything else that like yep. and that connection has to be so much stronger than just like the or at least maybe not stronger but very different and uh it probably manifests with different relationships to it Absolutely. than a fictional character that we yep all grew up on <laughs> yeah well i mean even, even thinking about it like this it's like you know like i, I guess you know, early in the pandemic i started just kind of like you know infusing myself uh whether they like people liked it or not into like the paranormal high, strange world mm-hmm. because i was like always sort of like a guy who's like career first career first but my career was shut down so i was like uh-oh and so i tried to experiment experiment to like kind of like offer my ideas and comment on things and through it, I started a podcast and met wonderful people like you. So I'm kind of joined that new generation in a lot yeah. of ways. And I have found it absolutely so valuable in my life to have met like a community of weirdos like, you know, yourself or Darcy, who you mentioned yeah. earlier. It's like I never would have been friends, had these new friends. Friends I find incredibly like, you know, I, I'm like, I, you know, even though we've never hung out and high fived in person, I feel close to you. Yes. Like if you you know if you need a ride on a interstate on a snowy <laughs> snowy night, I can pick you up and help you change your tire. Right you back know, at like, you. I mean, like 100%. you know, and, and I, I feel you would, but yes. like yes, that is so 
unthinkably beautiful to me, yeah. you know? So yeah, no, dude, you're a hundred percent right. And I think it's funny again that you just mentioned Darcy, cause we kind of talked about this same thing where a lot of the times with these conversations, people are very, um, have a very dualistic view. They say we right. either have to have more in-person interaction. We need less digital friends and right. less, you know, and other people are like, but I have this giant community of weirdos that I can connect with and I don't have that locally. I can't, but yeah. we need to do both. Like we need, we need to, to and like, I think both are really doable. Like you can find yes. even in somewhere like Nebraska or totally. Wilmington, Delaware, you can find a local two weirdos you can find actual people to go sit in a room with and get those dopamine interactions and like have yeah, those 100% like, right. and then we can have these beautiful relationships online that same thing with darcy it was the first time i talked to her and i felt like i had a old friend that like i had known uh -huh. forever and like it, i i think that that like middle path or whatever you want to call it is the place like it is like we need more of these relationships and more yep. of the in-person kind of like uh, knock on your neighbor's door every once in a while or wave when they're like you know getting out of the car and absolutely that type of thing, yeah have a meaningful interaction with your your you know your clerk at trader joe's yes yeah you huge. know like it, it's, it's just <sighs> yes yes yeah i feel like when you're out in the world and you're around people make the most of it yeah. i really i that that's something i've tried to really do in my life and it's probably more of a self-serving thing because i really do enjoy human interaction not necessarily like i used to where it used to be more like going out to the bars and mm -hmm. going to a lot of shows now i go to the bars very rarely i go to shows rarely and i enjoy it when i do but I, you know, as I grow up and stuff like that, I'm like, I'm like, every interaction is an opportunity for something wonderful to happen. Yes. Whether it's your bank teller, you know, like, hey, what'd you do this weekend? She's like, well, actually, you know, I went to a movie and then, uh, you know, went miniature golf. I'm like, miniature golf, they still have that. And it leads to something. I don't know if it doesn't have to be revelatory, but it could be fun and entertaining and put a little smile on your face. 100%. There's a, one of my favorite Ram Dass quotes is, and I, this won't be the exact quote, but essentially he says, use your relationships as your practice. We are all in relationships from everything from the clerk at the at the grocery store to the people that live in your house. Shouldn't we just use those of our practice, like work on yourself via yes. those relationships, doing exactly oh. what you said. And I had this amazing example of it the other day. I was standing in line waiting to check out for something and like was I, I was in a really bad mood for some reason. I don't even remember why now, which is very typical, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that far doesn't stick around. But I was standing there at the wall or at the um, Walgreens and like waiting with a loaf of bread and a bottle of water or something. And I let somebody go ahead of me that had like a little kid and uh, it's like right. they need, you know they go yeah, it's fine and she like grabbed the loaf of bread and the water bottle out of my hand and like paid for both of them <gasps> and i was like you did not need to do that and she was like just no. pass it on just do something nice for somebody else and thank you for letting like i was like that's amazing and those are those little things where it's like okay yeah. like that's the yeah. stuff right there that's the and like, i bet you were in a bad mood after that no no i walked out of there and like it's so funny how that experience i mean that this might sound weird, but that is a paranormal experience to me. Like that to is. me is like, and maybe it's kind of sad that it is that rare, but those little blips of like, oh yeah, the whole point is these connections and just making those like, I'll never see that person again. But like, yeah, I've done several things that I hope are uh, making up for that in the universe out there. And like, that was uh, a very meaningful thing that happened to me. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, like I think, 
So, okay, you know, it, it's too bad, but I think you're right. I think those kind of like aggressively nice things doing, you know, you you can do for a person is kind of like an, an act of novelty yeah. dropped into their day. Yeah. But that even just even like, you know, selfishly for like speaking in a high strange way, it's like, even though I may not know the result after, like, you know, just the example, if I was the person who bought you the bread and the water, I wouldn't know how that would affect your day. But the when I get in my car, I'm driving away, I'm like, mm, I wonder how that piece of novelty affected that young man's day, you know? And, <laughs> and, 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 and I bet she would never for a second thought it was something negative, you no, know, like, but absolutely. like what a great thing to do in the world, yeah. like splash more like aggressive act acts of novelty or aggressive acts of beautiful, nice, nice. I shouldn't say aggressive because that's a, maybe not the right connotation yeah. for what I'm trying to get across here. But like, you know, I guess really like that's in your face kindness. And yeah. I think, I think sometimes it throws people off, but that's okay. No, <laughs> like, totally, you know, like, totally. like, and that's, you're absolutely right. I think, well, the commerce part, I think makes it so that anybody would have accepted that gesture, but there's definitely right. some nice things where people would be like, yeah, but I think oh, there's no. like, there is something to it. And I think it's one of those things that, there's a lot like again some of my favorite ramdas raps are about how you need to stop and like think about where other people are in their situation like if you're in traffic and someone cuts you off before you get all like yeah. think about well they could be rushing to a ill uh, loved one's emergency room visit or like a million right. other horrible things and then wouldn't yeah. that make you feel stupid if that was the case and like yes. taking that step back but this allows you to take that next step forward too and be like okay like I don't know what this person's having a bad day. Like maybe I looked miserable. I don't know. But this lady didn't know I was having a bad day, but she just right. kind of went out of her way to say, you know what? I'm just going to do something nice because this person did something. I mean, I don't even think it was nice. Just common, uh, common decency. Right. And like yeah. she repaid that with this very nice. And I think that that is that taking that idea to that next step and being like, you never know whose life you might have just saved by buying a loaf of bread not to be uh -huh. too melodramatic or like you know no, it's a, that little act of kindness can change people's world views and more <laughs> yeah well i mean i you know I, I can't think of a direct example but i can think of i mean i can just i can go back and kind of feel those moments throughout my life where i was having a bad day or just feeling low or maybe hopeless or i got a piece of bad news and someone just did something so random like just a little wave or let me in on, into a car lane on the 101 freeway that changed my reality tunnel. Yeah. And when, when someone else changes your reality tunnel by being nice, that is a special thing, you know, <laughs> it really is. So if you can be a part of doing that, I feel like do it, yes, you know, yes. and everyone can, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, commerce does not have to be involved at all that is no. a way of doing it yeah that was but you uh, know like yeah. like shovel you know shovel someone's walkway and don't <laughs> ask for anything return never even tell them that you did it you know yes. like yes. i tried like i see this trend like on youtube and some of the social media of like it's usually like like <laughs> rich white dudes who like go to another country like hey can you make me like 20 tacos and they're like yeah it's gonna take a while and then they'll give them like you know a thousand dollars afterwards and then they'll you know they'll get like a two million like you know views on their thing weird and and i and I, for me i'm like i get it was i mean it was nice of you to give this person who probably really needed the ten thousand dollars yeah but it's like the show-off part to me 
spiritually defeats the purpose, yeah. I guess. You know? like, <laughs> it's sort of yeah. missing uh, it's missing the point. While yeah, I'm sure they were happy to have the 10 grand, the message seems a little muddy to me. It's like yeah. it's like I feel like when charitable people put their names all over a building. Oh yeah, no, I'm 100%. like eh, it doesn't feel doesn't feel like charity to me anymore. It, it reeks of the effective altruism idea. This whole idea that it doesn't matter how much harm I do making the money I make if I give back X percent at the end of the Absolutely. day, it'll make yeah. up for all the horrible things that happen to those kids in mines. That's exactly uh, right. and all that stuff, you know. And right, that shit right. just doesn't hold mustard. I don't think philosophically <laughs> or practically. <laughs> no, and it does to a lot of people. Probably, I think there was a, there was like this reframing of the Carnegie, you know, the Dale Carnegie and the Carnegie family where they were horrible, oh, made yeah. money, just like ruining people's lives. And then, you know, like in the forties or fifties, his like teams was like, we have to reconstruct your image. <laughs> I mean, this guy literally flooded like mining towns, killing Ugh. people and like, you know, bought off like the law. I mean, like, it, you know, I don't want to go down that road too much, but like, I'm just saying like it, it is, there is this, there is the projection and like appearance of charity and stuff like that. And then there is real charity and then yeah. there's real, like real nice moments, but I, I don't buy a rich person saying like, look, I made a bunch of money off the sweat and tears and murder of totally. <laughs> the land yeah. and people. And you know, now I gave you this building. It's all good. Right. I <laughs> like, think, uh... you know? No, I think Jesus nailed that one too with the whole like if you get essentially a poor person giving uh five cents is more than a billionaire giving five million dollars. Like absolutely, I don't remember exactly what the parable that Jesus uses there, but I know there's a famous one and it's really yep. good. But uh, yep. yeah, I mean it's one of those things that I think there's a lot of ways to kind of philosophize your way out of. Uh, we are all the center of our own universes and uh -huh. like at the best of times we are able to work our way out of that mindset right like that's right. like something that i think if you really look at what a lot of like spiritual practices or uh, meditation practices or any of these things it's like remembering that we are not the point that our lives essentially don't matter that we're all mm -hmm. part of this giant thing that's happening and like yep me todd does not matter i am a giant part and like for me, for some reason, that gives me some sort of like uh, solace or respite or like I don't really – I don't know. It's nice. Like I'm one of those people that could kind of like I don't need free will. Like I'm cool with the idea that like this is all preordained right. and like right. outside of our control in certain ways and whatnot. Right. But I think that that really freaks people out and it goes back to that kind of idea that like there is a um, – there's a worldview – that you can kind of justify in your own life being like, okay, this is for the greater good because I am the good guy. And then it right. leads back to that whole, I don't know, uh, all, essentially what we were just talking about. You can justify the worst things if you say at the end of it, I'm going to give it back and be charitable at that point. Yeah, That's no good. I've been no. listening to a lot of philosophy debates recently because it's super fun. Like again, oh, yeah. they're talking about the same stuff as the paranormal, but they're mm -hmm. actually willing to go talk to other people that don't agree with them and have yeah. like really intellectual arguments about it. And like, absolutely without get, fighting, you yeah, know, like, yeah, totally. They get heated and passionate and they'll like, they'll get, loud but then at the end of it they're just like fine and civil and they're just like this is what we do bye-bye cool have yeah. a good day you know like <laughs> well i mean and that's i mean they would you know they had salons back yeah. in the you know like back in the you know the great philosophical times and 
these were they were contentious. Yeah. But at the end of it, they all shook hands like, hey, you know, I'm more solid with my ideas now because I was able to talk it out. Totally. And here, the way you, I mean, like, I, I do feel that, like, the art of conversation, the art of debate, yeah. even just amongst, like, your neighbors and citizens, it's so, everything's so polarized where it's yeah. like, it, it, we live in such a, at least in the Western world, we live in such a dualistic Plant your flag over here or over here. There's no there's no middle ground. Yes. I always like, and not not. I'm not even saying politically or philosophically, but I never want to be a part of one or one or the other group mm-hmm. because I mean, like, there's always going to be things I disagree with, and so I, I want to I want to live my life, you know, philosophically in a case-by-case basis. <laughs> that makes a lot you of sense. Like, you know, because, like, you know, like, I feel like the idea of, like, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Like, how many people can really say, like, well, gosh, my party totally aligns with me? You know, no way. You know, like, and, and it's 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 a it's a dumb system. It's barbaric, in yes. my opinion. <laughs> like, yes. it's just like, we should have a lot of choices. <laughs> it's, uh, it's broken in a lot of ways, but it's also linguistically broken because what those words uh-huh. mean is completely different. Like, if you ask 10 people what those words mean, you're going to get 10 different answers. Absolutely. And that has always been the case for a lot of things, but I don't know if it was essentially like that is the case for everything now. Like there's no consensus on what Christianity is, what Catholicism is, what like all of these things are now. So like you ask 10 different Christians what Christianity is, you're going to get 10 different answers. And like, I I don't know if that's, that might not be a modern thing that might have always been around, but like, it's very interesting that like it's uh it's hard to find concisive definitions and it's hard to find just uh, good information more than ever. It's something like there's more information than ever, but at the same time, it's hard. I was listening to it. It was uh, one of the philosophers I've been listening to, Bernardo Castro. He uh, mm-hmm. super interesting. Have you listened to any of his? Oh talks? yeah, 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 yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, he's. I, I, I'm very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was talking about the way people interact with, um, uh, like a chat GPT. You know, he has a lot of AI background. And, like he's very interesting thoughts on it and whatnot. But one of the things he says, like the main. Th- issue he sees is like when you google something right we as a culture know that google is just presenting you the information that is found based on those keywords it's not saying this is correct information this is incorrect information it's just presenting the stuff it finds where most people are using things like chat gpt as a google and it's presenting it with confidence and as an expert it's presenting it as like this is the correct information and it doesn't have that same uh, kind of cultural connotation that like this is just a collection of information that you have to go through and like decipher wow. for yourself. And I was like, wow, that, 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 is, <laughs> that is that is so true. You're you're so right because like when you Google something yourself, you're like, well, th- I, I mean, I am aware too. But like I find a lot of times when I'm like researching something, like I'll find that a lot of the stuff I'm looking on Google is totally incorrect. Yeah, yeah. Come, even like Wikipedia pages. While totally. Wikipedia is a great source for like a good foundation of information. So much of it is incorrect. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like, I mean, like I'm finding in- inconsistency. It, well, it's written by just users, you know? 100%. So like, and obviously these people are slanted and have an opinion or they're trying to get a point across or they feel a certain way about a person or a subject. Yep. 
I, you know, myself included. Like, you know, when you hear me talk about something, it's like, don't take me like I'm, I'm you know, literally <laughs> ever, totally. you know, like. <laughs> yes, yes, 100%. <laughs> but like yeah. the, one, re- one reason why you're such a breath of fresh air, like listening to your show and getting to know you, you are a person like that is easily relatable for me because you are, you like, I feel like the way I perceive you, Todd Purse, is a guy who's like, Today, this is the information that I have up to this point. But if tomorrow yeah. I learn something new, I am so willing to drop that and, you know, and like take the new information into consideration. 100%. So you are like, I mean, like, and I'm not like trying to label you, but like the idea <laughs> of being agnostic has such a negative connotation in the West. Yeah. Being a fence sitter and not playing your flag in this or yes. that, people like don't trust you. And I've always felt that way where like, even with the UFOs, like, I mean, like I, I've noticed in the last like two months, my opinions have changed, you know, like, Absolutely. and they always will. I, I, no. I, I predict in April, my thoughts about what UFOs represent is going to be different than what I'm thinking today. And totally. that is okay. I'm and not certain about any of this stuff. I think that is a consistency with anyone, yourself included, that I've connected with, that I've really connected with, with this stuff. It is that exact, uh, it's that kind of, kind of dedication to agnosticism or curiosity uh-huh. might be another way of putting it like right. just remaining curious and into the actual questioning i always thought about you know I was brought up catholic and i always thought about the idea of only allowing one belief system the way it was kind of presented to me limiting like if there is this yeah. all knowing all powerful being that is a god like why is he limited just to being a catholic god and not like the same like wouldn't it be the same dude and i think the same thing about like thoughts in general like if you're thinking about the weird stuff put that filter down and let it all in baby like you just like yeah. if you're if you want to talk about sasquatch and ufos why not accept or try playing with the idea of accepting it all for a little bit? And doesn't it make more sense that it's all yes and this? Like it's all, right. yeah, it is nuts and bolts. But if you really want to get fun, it's also this and it's also this. And yeah. it's probably. Yeah. It can be. Maybe it can be nuts and bolts. Maybe it can be flesh and blood. But I don't think that's all it could be. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where that like that argument always comes in because the people that do kind of move past those initial flesh and blood nuts and bolts and everything will always preface that, you know, yes, it could be flesh and blood or nuts and bolts. It's always there, but it's almost, I feel like the other side almost takes it like a dig at this point. And like, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like preferencing. I don't know. I think the same way when I hear people try and talk about historical figures like Madame Blavatsky or these people, they Uh have to be like, well, there was lots of problematic. Well, I'm like, yeah, everyone knows there was probably, she lived in the fucking 1800s. Of course there's problematic stuff. Uh You know, like this preferencing, it's almost like a, a, an underhanded shot like a jab towards the other side being like listen dummies we're gonna say this because you have and it doesn't come across as sincere i guess is what is yeah uh, i i i agree i i don't think i think i think like you know like really taking sides you know like obviously i feel like you know i'm not speaking in a moral way in terms of like you know taking sides morally but like taking sides philosophically or being certain about any one philosophy or idea about something that we can't prove. Yeah. To me, it's crazy. Yeah, totally. It, it's also so boring because That's, yes, w- what I figured out, Todd, actually I've had this kind of realization the last like year It's probably from doing my podcast. It's not necessarily that. I mean, like, obviously I love UFOs, Bigfoot, all this stuff so much. I love the ephemera. I love the way the drawings look, the book covers look, all of it is very pleasing to me artistically. 
But what I really love, if you want to strip all the way and get down to the core of why I'm into all this stuff, it's because I'm into mystery. Yeah. I'm interested in things we don't know and probably can never understand. Because by chasing the mystery, and I think this is what a lot of people get out of like an organized religion, which I don't, you know, I'm not in any organized religion, but I don't I don't also poo-poo it because I think that is the lens they use to wonder about mystery yes. and the mysteries of life. 100%. And I think a lot of that stuff can be good. Is I feel like if you're not wondering and into mystery, I think then the distraction machine has won you over. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I think wondering about mystery is very disruptive to control systems. 100%. And I, and I personally believe as a member of a, a society, one of your jobs is to disrupt control systems, not in like a Jan six insurrection type. Uh, but I'm saying like, when, when they say like, watch this, this was the best, the best movie that came out this year, says the Oscars. Do not take that at their word because I mean, like you just, you know, because first off the idea of awarding anything like best art is such a dumb idea on its face. <laughs> but like, I feel like you have to really discover these things for yourself you know yes. like it, it, it's really important i think you know so oh, dude that's so beautiful and i 100 agree i think this is like a beautiful place to start wrapping this conversation up yeah. going over over an hour and that was so nice and it makes me think i wish i could remember better or more of this to relay it better but uh there was I, it may have been bernardo castro who was talking about this too actually because i've been listening to a lot of his talks recently but um they were talking about how when the church, the institutionalized church came in the way that we know it now, it essentially took control of the greatest mystery at the core of humanity, which was uh, death. It came in yeah. and said, you don't have to worry about this mystery anymore. There's a big fluffy cloud place you're going to go if you're good. There's a hot fiery place if you're going to go if you're bad. No more worries. Continue. And like that was yes. one of the biggest shifts in not only of society and culture but spiritually and with magic and that's where like our connection to that giant mystery of death is tied to our more enchanted view of the world and that's when we stopped embracing things that lay outside of materialism and really right. started opening up with the renaissance and all of the uh -huh. and through the industrial revolution and everything and we distanced ourselves further and further from death and magic and now there's like a bubbling up of both right like there, there is, is there's there like, is it's it's coming right and like it uh, is not no not no like apocalyptic way but like <laughs> <Yeah>. in, uh, <laughs> it's coming baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i thought that was such an interesting like controlling that greatest mystery was one of the biggest shifts in history and wow. i never thought about it like that before i didn't either well you really distilled it down to like a, in a perfect way what well, one thing i want to mention just to bring it back to comics for one second there yes. is a comic because I, I i did continue to read after klaus and yeah, we didn't yeah. even get back through. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I love it. It goes where it goes. You're but, a better uh, host than I am. This is great. <laughs> no, no, no. But it just popped in my head because somehow it made me think of it, and I'm not sure why. But there was a comic, uh, and I, I didn't collect the single issues, but I got the the uh, anthology graphic novels called Transmetropolitan. Oh, yeah. One of and my favorites. Why can't I think I can't? Uh, it's Morrison famous, and uh, I, yeah, it's Grant Morrison. I can't remember the now. I can't remember the, the artist. The other guy. Oh, Can dude, he's it? huge too. I'm, I'm terrible with names, but I absolutely loved Transmetropolitan. It absolutely. is to me almost picking up the mantle of like Philip K. Dick. 
and writing about this hilarious future world where oh yeah it's one of the like best. the different cigarettes they smoke and like it was a hundred basically hunter s thompson as the protein protagonist yes, totally like, sorry yeah warren ellis and uh warren ellis, Jer- and Derek robertson not morrison yes. yeah i was like yeah, I, I knew warren it ellis. wasn't morrison i knew it was something in that same run. yeah i haven't read it in so long but that yeah, was like either. What I read after I got into Morrison is like I I came to Morrison in several different waves, right? And like once mm-hmm. I got into uh, the Invisibles and I read his book Super Gods, I was like, oh, okay, this is a whole other world of comics, yeah. right? And um, and I read it shortly after that, and it's right in that same wheelhouse for me. It's so good, and like, yeah, oh, perfect, yeah. perfect reference point. Did excuse me, man. I am having the worst bubble belly today. I don't know what it is. Oh. But just all kinds of burps. It's fun. I am okay. fine, but uh, I probably just <laughs> probably drank way too much coffee. I use afternoon yeah. podcasts as an excuse to have a third cup of coffee where I usually cut off at two. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to do a third one. So it's probably just I'm, I'm, I just cut down to three. I usually start my day with like nearly a pot of coffee, which is not it's probably too much. <laughs> Then I, I wonder why I have anxiety. <laughs> yes, no, I, dude, when I learned, so I'm, I don't know how much we've talked about my, uh, you know, I mainly work in coffee. Like my main right. illustration gig is drawing bags for a coffee yeah. company. And when I started doing the work for them and everything, I like really dove in to learn about coffee. When I learned that caffeine stays in your body four hours after you can feel the effects of it, that sometimes you'll drink like a pot of coffee and you won't feel awake, but you're like, why is my back tense? It's because that caffeine is still uh, blocking your receptors in your brain. And again, one of those weird brains are so fucking weird. Like caffeine doesn't actually add anything to your brain, right? It blocks a receptor. So you can't receive the sleepy signals and same thing with like psychedelics, like psychedelics doesn't actually add anything to your brain chemistry. It shuts things down. And Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, that it allows you to receive something that we could all be receiving all the time if right. we didn't have all and it's just so funny it's how yeah right right that stuff works for sure but dude okay last question because i yeah. have I, again like i had like seven different ones here that we never got right. to based on <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. based on comics. that's okay i love it though man it goes where it wants to go I, I, that's how i feel absolutely i honestly kind of forgot that we started talking about comics and was just enjoying the conversation so me much too hey buddy, I, I mean like, like look <laughs> Me same, same. Okay, so you you mentioned we kind of got off track around the time that you were saying you read Clouds, and then yeah, you obviously have continued to read comics. So, is there anything that you've read in the last like you know year, month or so? Like, is there anything that you've read recently, old or new, that has been uh, kind of doing it for you? I wish I could say yes, but I haven't really, honestly. Like, I I have been reading so many. I've been reading a ton of books. Yeah. And right now I'm so overloaded with, I have like a stack of five. I can't, I have such a bad book buying habit. No, it, I completely it happens late at night, you know, like one in the morning. I'll yes. be like, yeah, I need this book, this book, this book. And then I'm like, dude, you have like five books to read, but I do feel compelled to read them. Even if I don't like the book. Yeah. So I, honestly, like I, I've been, cause I've been, I've really like, I've probably never been more into research and just like learning about high strangeness and all the tangential things that, you know, like philosophy and the history of fairy faith and stuff like that. I consider that all absolutely high strangeness homework. So I've, I've really been going deep into that world. So it's kind of comics have fell off again a little bit, 
but I'm a I'm, I'm a phases guy. Yes. So like I'm like the, I know the phase is gonna is gonna bubble up again. So I'm not like oh I'm done with comics. No, not at all. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get like I just ordered Daniel Klaus's new Monica book. I was gonna say you'll you'll based get, off it, your recommendation. Yeah. You're well, you're gonna love it. You'll read it really quick. It's one of those ones that I read all the way through and I was like, all right, I'm going to reread this really quick. And then yeah. I, within a week reread it all the way again. and was like, wow, lots of uh reread, just like a Lynch movie, lots of yep. uh, replay value there. But yeah, yeah, you find a lot of new things. And uh-huh. every time, you, you know, every time I pick up eight ball, I'm like, oh, I never saw it this way. It's interesting to read it at this age now, you know, like, Oh, a hundred percent. And there's a lot of themes. If you are a fan of eight ball and like the ghost world storyline and those I love types, ghost world. Yeah. So many similar themes that are just done so well. Yeah. I'm excited mm-hmm. for you to read it. It's going to be I good. I can't wait. And uh, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I go through fits and starts with, reading comics i mean i i have the problem all the time where i'll start something get like an out or get like you know a couple pages into it and be like i'd rather just be drawing i'm just gonna start drawing. Yeah. Like it just makes me yeah. want to make stuff like i don't yeah. have that problem reading books like it doesn't make me like get want to get up and write or anything like i can right. sit down it, and try and read. but with comics i'll usually get to a point where i'm like yeah i'd rather just be drawing now i'm gonna go do that <laughs> yeah 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 well what happens with me with books all the time is i'll read about something or find a name like oh wow interesting then i'll put the book down, look up, and then I'll be on a three-hour rabbit hole about this just like one thing a book brought up to me, which now has made me a slow reader because I'm like reading books in a different way where I'm really trying to absorb the information and even like categorize it, like write it. I mean, like, I I don't know. I'm like, I'm in a weird phase where I feel like I'm like trying to like get a doctorate in high strangeness. That's awesome. Even though there's no such thing. But for myself, I'm just, I'm trying to really like, fill in some gaps that I feel like I don't know enough about. That's so cool. Are you still yeah. focusing on Nebraska or is that still are uh, you kind of a lot of my, now? well, a lot of my research is d- definitely Midwest based because if I, I feel like it would, if I try to take America or the whole world, it gets too intimidating for me. So yeah. I, there's so much just, I think if everyone starts peeling the layers around where they are yeah. in just a hundred mile radius, you will find that there is a lifetime of stuff to read about document. 100%. Like I'm reading books about like Nebraska history because I feel like this is important to know about the different cultures that were brought here and the folklore that they brought here. Because, Dude, I mean, 100%. Like, I am of the idea where I think a lot of, or I like the idea of different cultures imprinting their folklore and mythologies upon the land they are. Yes, 100%. And so I feel like sometimes, I mean, like I had this notion that the high strangers might use different cultures, folklore to present itself. I don't have any proof of that, Todd. It's just an idea I love. <laughs> 100%. One of the things I always think about, and you might be the perfect person to put this bug in, in your ear about it, is when utilizing like such a local research um, method and really looking into Nebraska at the same time, looking at people who have made cultural or artistic changes or innovations in the same spaces. Like, can you find a correlation to be like, here's famous artist. And then there's like 13 different UFO sightings around this famous artist or like, you know what I mean? Like I, it seems like there's towns that have like a link between weird stuff and their uh, creative ambassadors 
and that's always been something right. that's interesting to me. But yeah, right. I've yeah. never seen anybody formally put anything down, and I'm not the person. <laughs> no, but 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 the thing is, that's something now that you mentioned that I bet I'm gonna find some, and I'll you know message you. Yeah, send and, it my way, go, dude, for sure. Todd. Because you said that, I didn't know where where Johnny Carson was born in Wazoo, Nebraska. Also, there was a you know like. <laughs> exactly yeah exactly. no you're not wrong i i mean like but all these little things i mean like i mean just it's, it's fun to look out for these things because i mean like a famous person is like while they're not better than another person they are exceptional because yeah. they you know somehow leaked into the zeitgeist of culture 100 percent. so that is obviously like I'll, you know the odds of that happening are like lottery yeah exactly you know, lottery odds yeah so that like high strangers is a, i don't think it's i think it's a rare occurrence yes totally that does happen but you know like so that they're not wholly different you're that's a great point those are always my favorite little connection points when you're like oh like uh edgar casey was born in hopkinsville kentucky and like those little things where it's like what is that like that's way more interesting to me than like you know uh, like a skinwalker ranch or any of these weird like big phenomenons that are all happening at once that's fine but like i'm more interested in stuff that seems to have a historical trend of weirdness or creatives yes like me too. oh yeah. you, you took the words out of my mouth and that edgar casey example is something i think about all the time right because hopkinsville <laughs> is one of like the most exciting fun you know creature attack yes. stories ever and, in like the 20th trickles century into pop culture with steven spielberg and et oh and yeah like just the, those cultural fingerprints that once you like you, you don't hear those stories and then you do hear those stories and you're like oh so spielberg was aware of this and wanted like that was an inspiration and it's like wow wouldn't have saw that coming <laughs> i know and then if you think about it even further it, it had like political ramifications because ronald reagan loves et Yes. He had he had Spielberg like screen it at the White House. <laughs> then he went on and did that famous speech. He's like, I often, I mean, look, look, I can't stand Reagan. I think he surely, was surely. even as damaging to this country as any human being possibly has been. Talk but about his punk view. <laughs> oh, I, it, it's coursing through my veins, friend. Trust me. <laughs> I do not a fan at all. But he did have that famous speech where he's like, yep. I often think. What if an alien race came down? We'd all have to get together. Like, he made that speech because of E.T. Totally. And that speech became kind of famous. And so E.T.'s ramifications, because of the Hopkinsville thing, I mean, it it had a major – it was a – an atomic bomb explosion pop culturally yes. still to this day. Yes. It's so, so, so wonderful to see those little uh, uh, threads that go all the way through. And like, I, yeah. I often think about what the new threads are and, and that got, that could open up a whole new conversation here. It could, like, it could, it could. Yeah. I, I wonder if, it, I mean, there's so much AI paranoia and <laughs> is AI going to be a new form of high strangeness where high strangeness interacts through AI. Who knows? But it's fun. To, it's, you know, it's I'm feeling you and I are going to be talking about that as the years go on. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Once I can actually form my uh, my thoughts about all that a little bit more, then I, I like AI is one of those things that I talked about for a little bit when it first was like really popping off with the arts. Stuff. Right but now, like it's all just so there's so much to it that I'm. It's like a lot of other things where I'm like, that's someone else's thing to talk about now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not smart enough, and I don't have exactly. my opinions. On, and also, it's changing so fast. So by the time you talk about it and release the episode, yeah. it's changed completely. <laughs> and like, I think my the 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 core thing that I cared about and what I came down to is like the whole idea of can it be conscious and all of that. And now I uh, just, because of people like Bernardo Castro, I'm like, nope, don't, I'm pretty sure he's right that that is not a thing that will, and his argument, I mean, 
I guess I should explain who he is somewhat since I've mentioned him like nine yeah. times this episode, but he's a, he's got a PhD in computer engineering and philosophy. He's like the lead speaker on an analytical um, idealism, which is a super interesting phil- philosophical worldview. And uh, he worked for CERN and like made the computers that were used at CERN, the large hydron collider. He uh, created a bright guy, very bright guy <laughs> created an AI system for the large hydron collider because that thing creates like 300 terabytes of information a second when it's running and they had to like have an ai to decide what to keep and what to trash and all that so it has a lot of experience with all of this and his whole thing is like you can add complexity and make it as complex as you want but without adding that nothing can arise from that complexity except for more complexity consciousness is not complexity and his metaphor is you can take a one of his metaphors that i like is you can take a receiver like a stereo system and you can add more speakers and more receivers and more amps and more everything to make it louder and louder but that system will never project a picture until you add something else like a sheet of tinfoil or metal in front of it for the vibrations to make and like that's what we're missing there's that something else that is consciousness that like just adding more computing power will not get us there and i'm like right. that makes a lot of sense to me if you think about it it does, like that, it right? does. Like, wow <laughs> was, and he explains it way better than i do he's also dutch and has a beauty like he just talks very beautifully yeah. and like yeah very interesting dude um but yeah dude steve this was such a beautiful talk and like i, oh, I like Todd. could do it for another hour here and i'm, I'm such trying, a pleasure man i I'm, really appreciate I'm it i'm trying not to eat up people's whole days anymore like i've been trying yeah. to consciously be like okay we're keeping this to like two hours all together i know <laughs> like, i know i know i do the same it's, it's it gets tough yeah, it does but dude uh we'll do this again for sure you I gotta am, come uh, back on my show again too man we have plenty to talk about so. anytime buddy yeah literally anytime you have been such an wonderful connector again darcy who i brought up several times i also uh reached out to mike mcmillan after you guys talked uh, yeah recently. he's rad man Dude, you're gonna love that guy I, i've loved the bigfoot collectors club for a long time and i've i've worked with riley uh we, we have yeah. a fun little project that we've been working on and like, that's so awesome. it's been like i've been wanting to reach out for a while and then after i heard you guys talk i was like oh yeah he loves comics like duh this is the perfect excuse so i reached yeah. out for him for this whole series to he he's a really cool bright guy I, you yeah. guys are gonna have such a great conversation. I can't wait to hear it. That's awesome. Well, again, it's uh, it's all thanks to you for the. Like, it's it's <laughs> nice to have these connection points, and you've it been is. such a, well, a lovely I mean, one. It, uh, buddy, I'm just thrilled to have become buddies with you in, in such a short time. I started, yes. I started my my podcast in May, and like, look, it's like January now. I'm like, toss my bud, <laughs> dude. It's great, you know. Like, hell yeah, it's a beautiful thing for me. Totally. Well, dude, tell people where to find the podcast and anything else that you would like to share at this point, and I'll make sure I link it all below and all that good stuff. Okay, yeah. Well, I have a podcast called High Strangeness, and that's H-I comma strangeness, like I'm saying hello to strangeness, and you can find that on Apple, Spotify, and all those places, and I am currently uh, under construction of a website where I'm going to be putting up a lot of... I've been taking so much footage of me visiting paranormal places and kind of giving the gist of what happened in Nebraska and some of my other road trips. So a lot of the, this is going to be kind of the home for a lot of my videos. Cause I, one thing I want to do this year is release a lot more of those and shoot a lot more because I like being in front of the camera and kind of expressing myself and expressing the mystery of what I'm looking for. And, so that's kind of the medium of choice for me, being a Love song it. and dance man. So yes. there will be a lot more of that to view if that is your thing this that's year. That's 
super exciting, dude. Yeah, I am, thanks, uh, man. I'm looking forward to that. I've heard you mention little things here and there, and I have been yeah. wondering where they're going to pop up. So Yeah, uh, yeah. I just needed a repository first because, like, just having a YouTube page, like, is – well, whatever. It's, I, I look, I, I'm figuring it all out. I'm not great with all this stuff. <laughs> yes, no, it's hard. It's I, tough for me. I tried but... once to do, like, a full video episode and, like, have yeah. – and then I was like, nope, never doing that again. Like, just the yeah. amount of space and edit. I'm like, nope, don't got it's time for that. Ricky, man. Stick into audio. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. It is complicated. It, but, the audio is complicated enough. Yeah, know? totally. Like, <laughs> I, I know you'll figure it out and it will be beautiful, though. I am excited to see it. So definitely. Thanks, buddy. Let I appreciate it. Yeah, when it's up and running, that'll be a great excuse to have you back on and uh, talk Kick about ass. We can go uh, through some videos together. That'd be super fun. Hell yeah. Well, I'll be there with bells on, as always. Dude, Steve, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you again, buddy. All right, Todd. You have a great one, man. Happy New Year to you, bud. You too. Bye. Bye.